Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. I have to tell you, people, uh, Trump, Trump was in L.A. today. And what's amazing is, well, if you don't know, he's not going to host The Apprentice. And I think he should do a new show called The Political Apprentice, where he sits there and gets all the other presidential nominees, Republicans, and chooses who's going to be his vice president. I think that'd be a good show. I would think there'd be people would watch that. And I got to tell you, though, Trump, what I love about him is, first of all, Joanne said, if I voted for him, she's leaving me. She said, I'm, I'm not going to be in the House. But it's so, here's what I think his speech went, because as you know, it was pouring. It was pouring in Los Angeles today. And you know, Trump is sitting there saying, you know, I come to California, there's a drought and now it's raining. See, that's what I do. Make a better America. Anyway, we have a guy who I can tell by his, uh, is shaking. He's not a Trump fan. Our guest is Willie Garson. How you doing, Willie? I'm well, Steve. Uh, I'm well. Trump 2016, not. Yeah. <laughs> Are you a political guy? Because I know your friend John Ailes always posts about uh, Bernie Sanders. And yeah, I, I, I am a political guy, uh, but I'm, I, uh, I'm more of a um, prag- pragmatist about what, what is actually being said, rather than, rather than uh, that I'm strictly for one ideology. I, I really embrace people for what they really have value of so uh you know trump's an interesting case because he stands basically for nothing so it's it's funny because you think about it and you know i know we're both from new jersey and new jersey is a pretty much i mean there's a lot of intelligence in new jersey yep and what i said i talked to my friends on facebook and everyone sees that trump they sit there and they go you gotta be joking it's like i'm sitting there saying to my girlfriend you know what's funny is yeah. They're all they're all the Republicans now attacking Hillary, and that means Bernie Sanders is going to move up because they're not attacking right. him. And it's just, I mean, to think, you know, I mean, we're around the same age. When you know, when we were younger, if someone said, "Of of rich," yep. I mean, then now Reagan was an actor, but it's just like Trump is just this buffoon. And I mean, it's just it amazes me that people are actually taking him serious. Well, it's it's kind of it's kind of uh, comes to how people take everything now. Like nothing is taken seriously. So uh, no, no one stands for anything. No, you know, I mean, I mean, just people in general just don't take things seriously. So, I mean, anyone that I know who said anything positive about Trump, it's almost like they're joking right. to themselves. So like, oh, I'm going to vote for him. I'm gonna, isn't that funny? It's like, well, it's not funny. It's not funny. You know what he's saying about, you know, I, I mean, just I, I don't I don't like to say just how it pertains to myself. But, you know, I have a Mexican-American child. You know, I know how Trump feels about my child. Right. <laughs> so, and I, I know uh, many women. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I know how he feels about women. So. Well, it's, it's almost <laughs> like when you see him at the debate. It's almost like, you know, when, when they, I mean, I always think you should not be able to run for president if Comedy Central had a roast about you. Absolutely. I mean, that's one of those things. To say. And when I see the debate, it reminds me of the roast. I watch that. I, I mean, I don't watch debates. I mean, I usually don't. But I, I had to get home to watch that just to see him. And I'm like, it's like, because I have a background in stand-up. It's like that bad hack comic who comes in and you're all going, we're laughing at him Absolutely. because it's a joke. Yeah, he's like, he looks like, to me, he looks like the unknown comic yeah. from the gong show, <laughs> if anyone gets that reference. Uh, but, I love but, uh, Mary Langston. <laughs> there, yeah, that's right. But, you know, it's, all, it's also very interesting that, you know, it's not that I'm saying that Obama has been the most perfect president, but he has refused to participate in the president as entertainer. Right, and he has refused it at every step of the way, and it's it's a it, that's a very inspiring thing that he's done that no one will give credit for it because no one in the country really wants it. They want president as entertainer and sports star as entertainer and entertainer as not entertainer. I mean, I mean, it, it's very bizarre. What's that? The cultural shift. Well, you're an entertainer now. Uh, to some people, hopefully. Were you? Did you always <laughs> want to get like as a kid? Did you act as a kid? Or what I, did you I did. Act, I acted as a child. I did. I did an off-Broadway play when I was 13. Oh, really? Okay. So, you know, as you know, I'm from New Jersey. We we're very close to the city, and uh, we had a friend, uh, family friend, who worked at uh, Roundabout Theater in New York, which was at the time a a small off-Broadway house. Now Roundabout Theater is a big Broadway house, but. Um, and they were doing a play, and they needed a 13-year-old kid. They, he said, you should come in. And uh, I went in, I auditioned. There, there were a bunch of us, because we couldn't do it every performance, because we were little kids. So uh, so that was my first bite. And then I did it all through high school. Um, 
I always had an agent, but I never got a job. <laughs> okay, so so now, did, were your were your parents? Did they have a background in the theater? I mean, no, what? not at all. Well, uh, yes and no, but no. Our, my family was not an entertainment family at all. I found out uh, my mother, who was very uh, averse to me becoming an actor, even after I became what would be considered somewhat successful, my mother would still say to me, you know, how about accounting or when you know they have great <laughs> programs at UCLA. I mean, this is this is like this is deep into NYPD Blue or right. even like the beginning of Sex and the City. Like, a good like, I, I was I was a successful actor, um, but when she passed, it's very interesting. You know, I, I was, I'm a psychology major in okay. college, so very interesting. When my mother passed, uh, I found all this stuff, like her yearbook uh, from summer camp, and it all said the, all the signatures were like to Muriel, my mother's name. Uh, I can't wait to see you on Broadway someday. I had no idea. That's you know that's weird because you, know, you would think like you know I knew my dad played the sax, but he didn't talk about it. And he had one. I never heard him pick it right. up. But you knew like he had the, the Northeast Philadelphia logo on the sax case. And you think though, I mean, especially if it's something you were pursuing, you think your mother would say, "Oh, by the way, when I was I younger, I wanted to be yeah. right." No, she went the total opposite, and I and I was never allowed to even know about that, that's which crazy. is very strange. Where my father was a stand-up bass player and when he was 16 he was doing gigs in new york on 52nd street you know he was on his way and got a full scholarship to juilliard and his father didn't allow him to take it made him go to business school in new jersey at a rider in trenton new jersey and uh it it really was a mark on his life so when i went to my father and said i want to be an actor he was like i don't care if you want to be a you know, one-legged Indian woman, I'm, I'm in. Like, whatever I wanted to do. He was the exact opposite. Like, now, where did you go to college at? Uh, Wesleyan University okay, now, in what, And you said, but you were a psychology major. Well, I was an actor. So, I knew that I wanted to be an actor. And I had an agent. And I would go to auditions. But, you know, at the time, auditions in New York were few and far between. Now, now there's a lot of production in New York. So, there's a lot more stuff going on. Um, but... You know, when I was a kid, if you went, you could go six months without an audition. So I went to college and I, I already, I always studied acting. So I thought this is a really expensive school. I'm not going to just major in theater here. So I just picked a major that I thought was, uh, you know, complementary to my acting. And I, I Wesley in such a liberal school, you could actually make your own major. So I actually made it up. It was, it was psychology and theater okay. was my major. Um, so, but all through college, I thought I'll probably end up being a lawyer. I'm not going to, I'm not going to make it as an actor. And, uh, about the beginning of junior year, I realized I found out I could graduate early if I stepped it up. So I added some classes and I talked to my father. It's a very expensive school. So I said to my father, listen, I'm going to graduate in three years. And, uh, what are we going to do about that? So I made it. I made it in my first. It was my first real negotiation. So I said, um, he said, okay, you graduate in three years. I'll give you a thousand dollars a month for twelve months. Now a thousand dollars a month in nineteen eighty-five. Good money. That was plenty. Yeah, I mean. So I I came out to California right away. So you you move. I mean, you just said I'm I'm going to go to. I had a I had a friend from college, very successful director named John Turtletaub. His father is a big big sitcom producer at the time, and uh, he brought me to network for a TV show the day after graduation. From so you just you got out you came out here you're basically you don't I really... came out I live with the Turtletaubs at their house okay. in Beverly at their mansion in Beverly Hills. It's literally. funny because I know a guy who went to high school with Turtletaub at Beverly Hills. At Beverly high. Hills High. Yeah. yeah so. Uh, his father gave me my first job, got me my SAG card, which was a big deal to happen. And then my stepsister, uh, my, my sister-in-law rather, was working at an agency, at a talent agency, as an assistant to an agent. And she said, I can get you in to meet my boss. And this is my second week in LA. And I went in and met the boss. He said, well, you've never done anything on film, um, but I'll send you out for a couple things. And I started bagging them like one after the next episodes episodes that my sister-in-law by the way is a woman named nina tassler who's the president of cbs who just stepped down today 
Okay. So she's making she's in the headlines today because she's the longest running president of a network in history. Okay. But she was an agent at one point. She was an assistant to an agent. Assistant to an agent. So now what was this? I'm looking at your resume. Is this when you started getting like family ties and stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, family ties is my second job. So what was your first? Uh, it was called Foley Square. It was okay. about a. Uh, it kind of cemented me as a New York actor because Foley Square is where all the legal stuff is done in New York, downtown New York. And uh, I, uh, I had one line, and it was. Uh, I was looking at a videotape. This is so dated. So yeah. <laughs> I, I walk out. I'm looking at. I think it, I don't even know if it was a videotape. It might have been an eight track cassette. And I and I look at it, and it says. Uh, I go. Uh, I look at the label, and I go. Wanda whips Washington. Wow. See, that was go. my laugh. And that was your butt. You got the laugh. You yeah, got the thing. I got my sad card. Now, what were they sending you out as? I mean, for that, were you going out as a lawyer? Or, I mean, I mean, you're a young, young you're 22. Liter- literally generic young guy. Okay. <laughs> but, but it's very interesting because now, because of uh, the economy, the way things are run now, there were five, six guests on shows. Sitcoms, hour-long shows. There were a lot of guest stars. Now there's not. There's right. one. Yeah, you're right. It's funny. Well, then you think about also there was shows like Love Boat. Remember all those shows yep. that had, okay, we're going to put, you know, 20 people on and you yep. sit there and go, oh, wow. Sure. I remember, I remember seeing Tom Jones on Fantasy Island. And I sure. go, that Tom Jones is cool. Yeah. And oh, it, yeah. It was like, but it was, you're right. So, I mean, back then. So but they, also also parts that I would get at the beginning on on Family Ties, on Cheers, uh, you know, X-Files, all these, all these shows that were big shows, uh, 30-something, you know, I'm trying to think. These are old. Um, this is like me having early onset right now, trying to remember. But but those early jobs, those are parts that I could get as a starting out actor. Big parts, big guest spots. They're not available now. Right. On an on a show that has a big guest spot now, someone like me is playing them. Right. Someone famous is playing them. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that's and, uh, that's 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 funny because yeah, you're right. You think back because then I'm looking at the shows you're on, you know, and you know. You know, I mean, Newhart. I mean, you know, that, that's a big show. My, yeah. my two dads. I mean, you see what you want. We all liked Paul Reiser yep. and Greg Evigan. Sure. So why you, not? You were getting work. So you, that was, you know, it must have been yeah, great. Yeah, but for those you. jobs would go to celebrities now. Right. And uh, so I wonder. I wonder about people. Now that said, there's obviously a ton more television now. You know, there was only however many shows there were. Now I can't even imagine how many shows there are. Oh, well, you can't even count. I mean, I, I sit there, no. you know, and you flip around and you go. And then you see so much bad TV. Like, I, I mean, like, like, I guess, but there's like, like, it, it bothers me is like, you know, I remember like, like the History Channel was like history, not American Pickers. Right. You know? and, and, right. Or just, I, right. I, I don't even know if it's, it's a great show though, American Pickers. Is it, I, we love it in our house. Okay. Well, but, yeah. and, and AMC, uh, you said the bio network and I love that. That's right. I, and then all of a sudden it's like, you know, psychic kids. And it's like, I don't want to see psychic right. kids. I want I to know. see the bio about, you know. It's hard though. It's a lot of hours to fill. Right. There's a lot of, you know, you got to put. Uh, as as jaded as it sounds, like you got to put something on. Oh yeah, that's so, true. You know, but an interesting statement was from the president of FX Network just came out a couple of weeks ago, John Langraff, and he said, "We're actually we're eating ourselves. There's too much TV. So with everyone fighting for the same audience, uh, we're actually." imploding on ourselves which is weird he says that because fx then spun off fxx which a lot of people don't have and they put like the league which is such a funny show they put that there and that's right and you sit there and you go okay because i don't fx or fxx thank you my chat my at&t has fx and ffx underneath charter it was like okay one's at 62 (laughs) one's at 450 and you go i can't even go up to 450 so so you're doing all these guest spots and and a lot of sitcoms or dramas or you mixing them up mixing them up uh you know, I got really lucky that, you know, people say like, oh, he can only do comedy about an actor. Or he can only do drama. It's really just luck of the draw. I just got really lucky that I was cast in both. So I'm so, you know, the training is doing it. So I got to do both. And so I feel comfortable in in both genres. I mean, there, there's a lot of people who feel really, really nervous about comedy. Like that comedy is a real stopping point for a lot of people. Um, I always that always came easy to me, and then but everyone who works in comedy is dying to do dramatic right. episodes because you really feel like oh I'm really working. If I leave a scene and I'm sweating, 
that that's a great thing that means i really worked today right. you know like building a coal mine or something exactly <laughs> it's like I, I worked hard i work i, I always yeah. say that it's like it's i like, really want to work like, i've worked hard yeah. it's like now you go out go out roof in this weather in vegas you'll say i don't i don't want to i don't want to work that hard yeah now you're you're acting on tv and you're getting a lot of spots and now when did your is is, is nypd blue your first recurring role or did you have any pilot action? No, back I had. Then? I didn't have any pilot action. I did. I did. Uh, I did a, a lot of episodes of a show called Mr. Belvedere, which was really oh, yeah. fun, and uh, really taught me a lot about. That was really early on. I want to say eighty-six to ninety or so, however long it was. Um, but you know, I learned so much about that. It's not. It's not this magical industry. Like, <laughs> I mean, we went to work. We did it. We were not wildly paid. It was one of those Friday night kid shows. Um, and then, you know, then the greatest thing happened was I, we were, I was losing my hair and we were supposed to be in high school. Right. <laughs> so, so the show came, it was, it was nearing the end of Mr. Belvedere and they said, you know, we, okay, we gotta, we gotta at least move them to college. So they, they, they put us like, we're going to be freshmen in college. And the first episode we did where we were, <laughs> freshman in college we're like pledging a fraternity or something and uh i looked around and i noticed like the extras that they put around us were like in their 50s <laughs> to make <laughs> to make us look like we could be freshmen but, but yeah and then i made a decision i said to my agent who is still my agent <laughs> i said i uh i want to do movies so then i started bagging like little parts in movies well, and you, you did, did a whole kingpin bunch of which kingpin well but that grew out of something totally different that grew out of my poker game okay no because i know because a lot of people know like kingpin was made before something about mary but yes. it didn't really get released until something Mary was the big well, hit it, and then, it, it got released it just didn't do very right, well so then, but it came yeah. back so P, so peter and bobby Farrelly are dear friends of mine they're in my poker game and uh who else was in that poker game Oh, everyone's in that poker game. So it's a big Hollywood poker yeah. game. Now, are you, yeah. Are you, are you real competitive? Um, you know, I don't play much anymore. You play mostly at charity tournaments. Uh, but, you know, Hank Azaria has a good game. Uh, you know, I played in Toby Toby's game for a long time and Leonardo's game. And, you know, I, I play in a lot of games. I play a lot of poker. Because no, I know uh, Ken, De uh, Ken DeVishim is one of Yes. He's not a bad player. He's okay. short. But he's not a bad player. Um, <laughs> he is very short. I didn't know. I was, yeah. I mean, I'm five ten, and I was yeah. like, he's like five. He's a five. lovely man. Um, uh, you know, so you know, so that just came about. You know, Peter was making Dumb and Dumber, and out of our poker game, and it was like he'd come in and say, "Hey, listen, I got this script, and they're making it," and then he just kept telling people that he was directing it. Whoever asked, they would say, "Who's directing?" He said, "Oh, I am." And he was joking. Okay. Until eventually he got to direct it, and it was a it was a low budget movie, a three million dollar movie, and then all of a sudden, it became a ten million dollar movie. Well, it didn't really. They were paying Jim right. seven million. <laughs> it was still a three million. So, anyway, so we made that, and then he said, "Kingpin, we're gonna go make this movie." And I read that script, and I I still to this day think it's their funniest movie. That movie is really fun. I love Kingpin. It's Bill funny. Murray is is so brilliant in that movie that it, it, it's it's like forgotten how great he is. In that and, movie. and you get to work with Woody Harrelson and then the scene with him and his landlord scenes are great. Uh, that's, yeah, yeah. So I've worked with, I've worked with Woody quite a bit. So that's, uh, you know, I like to work with people I know and luckily that I've been around for so long, I get to. Except so, that Brett Cullen. He's, he's a hack. Can't stand him. Total he said hack. you're a hack. No. <laughs> Total hack. Um, yeah, so Kingpin we made and it came out and did nothing. And then when Pete called and said, uh, I want to see you at 17 with a hairpiece in uh, something about Mary. And uh, I was like, great. It hadn't even been written yet. And so he wrote something and we went and made that movie. And it was like, we thought, oh, it'll do as much business as Kingpin, you know, whatever. Another, another Farrelly Brothers movie. And uh, it just, man, that thing just exploded like a rocket. I mean, I'd never... It, I don't know if that was the first time that it happened, and I know it's happened since, but it was every week, the box office, up, 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 up. Well, it was crazy. I mean, it ended up at almost a billion dollars. Well, what was so great about that movie is, and, and I'll be honest, because I love comedy, mm. and, you know, where some comedies, you know, you laugh, you laugh, you laugh. Right. Laugh. Well, that, you didn't laugh, laugh, laugh. You laughed so hard 
that when you actually subsided from <laughs> yeah. that laugh, you said, yeah, and we're talking about the laugh where, you know, you can't breathe and you yep. like you get in classroom yep. when you're in high school and you can't stop. And then when you get done that, you go, okay. And then you go, and that's what, they, that's what made it so great that people yep. just really laugh, but it wasn't like the scary I mean, when movie she laugh. gets, when she uses his, for her hair gel, his stuff yeah. for her hair gel. I saw the movie three times in theaters before I knew what happened in the next scene because people were laughing so hard and it went on for, you know, five, 10 minutes of laughter. Uh, so, you know, and then I stayed, I went back to them again. Uh, Fever Pitch was about the Red Sox. Right. Uh, so that was the last time I worked for them. But, you know, all along, I guess all starting out, this is like the late 80s, early 90s, it was all commercials. And I just, it was shooting fish in a barrel. I, I had four or five directors. And I mean, I'm talking two a week. Nationals. It was, it was a ton of money. It was, that was, that was the heyday. You, so what were some of your commercials you were getting? And anything, you name it. I did it. But and, you, you were known for, you were doing TV and you were doing movies. I was doing, you were, I was doing small spots so I could still do commercials. And I mean everyone, AT&T, Sprite, Budweiser, any big client. It was crazy. Uh, my, my, big, my big coup was, I mean, you're old enough. Uh, uh, Rosanna Ar- Arquette and I replaced James Garner and Marriott Hartley for Polaroid. Okay. So we were the new Polaroid spokesman. Um, and that was fantastic. You know, so this is, this is all going great. Then, then along came NYPD Blue. And everything changed for the better because the writing was amazing. And, the, you know, this was the most respected show at the time. And the part was terrific. And I had really meaty stuff to do. But I remember my dear friend who I went to college with, Michael Bay, was doing all the milk commercials, all the got milk commercials. And I never had to audition for anything. I just went straight to the client to the final meeting with the client. Because you were that well-respected in the Well, commercial. Michael was one of my directors okay. and a dear friend, and they knew who, yeah, when all the agencies knew who I was. But I remember I went in to meet the agency, and I heard someone whispering, and they said, isn't that the murderer from NYPD Blue? He's not doing a milk commercial. <laughs> and that was that was the end of that. So commercials just ended. But, you know, I now people were recognizing me, and that was all going pretty well. Uh, and now we're up 10 years into my career. So now we're up to 96 and I got my first pilot. Um, I did, it was terrific pilot, did not get picked up. What was it called? Black Sheep. Uh It was myself and Jason Bateman and, uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. And it was terrific. Great. And it was about Piscataway, New Jersey. It was about the town next to where I grew up. Okay. So that it was terrific. Uh, it didn't go. And then the next year, I got two pilots on the same day. Now, so you went, you, you auditioned both on the same day? or Yes, I went to network. Network for one was in the morning, and the other one was in the afternoon. Different networks? Different networks. The one in the morning was for a network called HBO, and the show was called Sex in the City. And the network in the afternoon was Fox, and it was called Ask Harriet, which was like a television version of Tootsie. Okay. Okay. I got both of them. We called HBO and said HBO was not HBO. Right. I, I always say back then. You know, I like, mean, they had, they had that OJ Simpson had, show and had, about football, and, and they, they had Dream and on. They had Dream on. Yeah, and it, was, that it wasn't was it. known, really. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you know, it was less money, and it was you know a large ensemble cast, and the other one was a real network, a little more money, and uh, second number two. Uh, actor. So you would, no, okay, you would have been number two on that show. Oh, yeah. And this one, you're, you're ancillary for Sex and the City. And in all honesty, I mean, except, I for, except and, for Sarah Jessica Parker, I mean, Kim Cattrall was known as but, but the reality is, I also, I mean, to be honest, I read the script and I was like, I, I don't get it. I, I didn't get it. For Sex and the City? Yeah, I didn't get it. I thought, oh, this is funny, I guess. I don't get it. I mean, I, I didn't, that's why I'm not a programming executive. Right. Because I didn't have the vision. <laughs> so, so I picked the other one. Um, they, I shot it, HBO called and said, okay, we're going to let him guest on the pilot. He'll just be a guest. And so you can do that contract. So I got to do, so I got to do both of them. The other show got picked up. Uh, we did 13 
And in that time, Sarah Jessica was a dear friend of mine long before the show. So we'd been friends for 10 years already. Um, was doing a play on Broadway. So they, so there was no Sex in the City. We, we shot the pilot and that was it. It sat for a year. In that time, my other show got picked up. We shot. We got canceled. And then they called up HBO and said, listen, we might have made a mistake. Is there any way we can come back? And, uh, and they allowed me to. And that was, that was just uh, what a ride. An incredible ride. Now, when you were on Sex in the City, because as, mm. as you said, they had a pilot that had disappeared for a year. You, did you ever think, I mean, first of all, you said you didn't get it. I mean, no. could, could you ever fathom that change? I always say, if it no. wasn't for Sex in the City, no one would have drank mojitos. That, that, I mean, no, uh, Cosmopolitan. But then they had mojitos and yeah. some of it. But I'm saying, but it was like one of those yeah. things. But when you when well, you it's were shooting it, that, what, you, what was it like? The, you know, the first season, if you watch, if you were to like buy, you know, just a DVD of just season one and watch it on its own, I I don't know what it would look like because it, it was very loose. No one's watching. It's this little cable network that people have to pay for. I mean, that that's insanity to people. And uh, n- we were really having, we were, we were just messing around, really messing around. It was midway through season two that the explosion happened. And it was, you know, the cover of Newsweek. And, the co- you know, and it, and it, it just became like a, an iconic show, even though the reality is six million was a big number. That's even towards the end. But because of what it was addressing and what, what it meant culturally, if you opened up any magazine or watched any television show, you would think that our audience was a hundred mil, right? Because it was, it was referenced constantly, um, and it it was uh, it was beyond anything that I ever could have imagined ever. Well, for ever. you, you think because you know you were recognized because of commercials, okay? And that's right. the thing is when your commercials and you use different TV shows and movies, people recognize you, but they can't always identify with you. They know you. They sit there right. and go, and okay, people like that. People like to have. A thing right like that that's the guy from blah 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 and so when that came it really must have you must have not been able to go to like a bar in no. new york or la without no. people going hey i mean and did well every- you get them like you get the you get the cosmopolitans lined up so the people send over so people like, are just sending you oh like a night when you like uh you know uh, yeah i'm going out to dinner with my girlfriend or whatever right and it's like you know, it's a Tuesday night, and before you know it, there's six Cosmopolitans on the table that people have sent over from around the room. And, you know, you want to be polite, so, of course, you're drunk once again. Right. So, <laughs> um, you know, so that, that went on, and it was it was amazing. Then it stopped, and we, we uh, you know, we had, I, I guess the idea to do a movie was there, but it took a really long time. I went, I went right back to David Milch, who I'd done NYPD Blue Floor. And I went right back to him. Uh, we did a show called John from Cincinnati, which was right, on which HBO. Because David had also done uh, had done Deadwood. He had done Deadwood, and uh, which was you know considered one of the finest shows in history. I just started but watching that because very expensive. Yeah, and and, I, and it, it just it couldn't. It was again it ate itself. So he said he had this idea, and you know I was I was not available for Deadwood, and you know I'm very close to David. And, so I went right back to him. Now HBO, on the other hand, because I just left Sex in the City, said they initially said to David to listen, if he's not being really flamboyant and wearing a five thousand dollars suit, we don't want to see him. It's yeah, on, how does that happen? Does that because is, is it it's HBO? The power, or, it's the power of David Milch, who yep. said, "Well, this is who I want. I wrote the part for him. This is who I want." But now, so, did you run into that? I mean, after Sex in the City, I mean, you said you went straight to. Uh, John, but was there anything in the team where they said, you know what, because you're, you're associated as a character, they go, we yeah, need you I mean, to do this. You know, actors, actors end up doing it to themselves. Certainly every flamboyant character, that script was on my desk and I could have made a ton of money. But it's as a character actor, especially, it's my goal for them all to be different. I want them all to be different. So, and for some reason sexuality and it was one of it was it was a big it was a big gay character for television so it was a big deal sexuality is a big deal and uh you know it's not like when i was in nypd blue every murderer script was on my desk like people don't care right for that they cared 
So I had to I had to fight it, and it came up. It just came up where offers would come or scripts would come, and it was like, well, I've done it already, and I've done it with the best writing I'm ever going to get of it. So I'd really love to do something else. So I did. Thank God. I mean, thank God for David. Yeah, because it must it must be hard when you're an actor and you're used to you know working, and then yeah. all of a sudden you're getting. You're right. You're getting these roles that are very lucrative. Oh, we need someone flamboyantly gay. Hey, let's get him. And you sit there and you go, Hey, this could be a Porsche. You know, what right, I mean? it's, right, it's something right. where you had to sit there and really bring your acting right. integrity into but the picture. But it's you know, it's again, it's penny wise, pound foolish. You know, like you want to last forever. I don't want to be no. Listen, I'm. I couldn't be more honored to have been on Sex in the City. And I, I hold that character with such affection. But I don't want to be known as that guy. I want, at the end of it all, I want to look back and say, oh, and he was there, and he was that, and he was that. You know, there's nothing better than when people come up to me, because now I don't know what they're approaching me about. Right. And there was a time, you know, being on Sex and City was, was like being on the Yankees. I mean, it was ridiculous. So there was a time when I knew, um, you know, certainly... You know, the the most poignant time of it was definitely after 9-11. You know, here we are in September, so it's been on our minds. But, you know, you could see the person approaching from 200 feet away. I could see them. You could see the look in their eye. And they're coming up to tell you that my husband or my wife and I watched every night. It was our life together, watching Sex in the City. And they died in Tower Two. You could see it. That's important. That made that made that show important. So when we came back and did the movie, now it was so much bigger than the series ever was. The first movie was crazy. Um, I mean, I, uh, we had the premiere at Radio City Music Hall. There were twenty thousand fans on the street. It was a three-hour press line. It was it was insanity. It's like the Beatles. It was like the Beatles. I, I remember, uh, you know, because my mother, as I discussed, who <laughs> didn't really want me, I brought her with me. Uh, and we got out of the limo, and it was it was like out of a 1940s movie about a movie premiere. And for her to see that was insanity. You know, so that was really, that was really special. But we did, so we did, we did. Um, well, John of Cincinnati was only on for one season, but it was very critically acclaimed. Critically acclaimed, you know, and David David Milch always says he's a storyteller, one of the best that's ever lived in this medium, for sure. And he always said to them, you give me a hundred episodes and I'm going to tell a hell of a story. It wasn't going to happen in 10 episodes. So we did what we could uh, and we tried. We didn't know where it was going. The, the cast didn't know where it was going. You know, Ed, Ed O'Neill and I would talk about it all the time, like what? What the hell is going on? We don't know. We'll know by episode thirty-five what this means. Uh, so, but we didn't get we didn't get that far, which is fine. And then I did a bunch of stuff. I kept on cruising along, doing movies, and then I did an episode of a show in Bogota, Colombia, called Mental. It was an American junkie show hour-long show made for the international market okay, so this was you, you shot it in colombia we shot in bogota we didn't see it we didn't see it stateside i think eventually over the summer maybe okay. fox aired them at one point but it's made you know we stopped making junky hour-long television the rest of the world is still watching barnaby jones they they love it they want those shows so Fox is one company that makes a lot of money overseas, and they make these shows that are for the international market. So my friend at FTVS, Fox TV Studios, called and said, do you want to do this episode of a show in uh, Bogota, Colombia? I'm like, what? when am I ever going to go to Bogota, Colombia? Sure, I'll go. I love drugs. No. So so we went, we went, I went down, and I made it, and it, it, it was pretty terrible, um, but I've been in worse. <laughs> <laughs> and I got back, and uh, they said, we're producing a show that's a companion to our show, Burn Notice. Uh, we have this show called White Collar, and you'd be, you did a great job in that episode. Would you be interested? And I went in and started meeting with them, and that, that's how White Collar came about, which was a total surprise, because it, it was like a second act for me. You know, so My girlfriend loves that show. It's she, a great she, show. It's it really... I, I it watch it occasionally. Modern, smart... 
doesn't talk down to the audience at all. Uh, you know, I, I, it was, it was a very special, very, very special show. Now, did you ever almost have a talk show? I didn't. I sold a, uh, I've, I've sold versions of like thinly disguised talk shows. I'm interested in the form, but not as presentational as it is, okay. as it's done. So I sold a show called to E-Channel called Willie's World. And Willie's World was following me, Willie, a mildly successful actor around town, going to the Emmys, going to meetings, going to uh, a lunch with directors, doing whatever I do. And then along the way, if I bumped into friends of mine who were very successful, we'd have a conversation. So that was the idea of Willie's World. We sold it to E-Channel and it was we made a great pilot and it just... You know, the the fear is always getting guests. It's all about getting guests. Oh, I go through that. I mean, I sit yeah, there like sometimes. Of but no, the reason I ask is because a, a guy I've known for a while, I knew you were coming on, his name is Bernie Larson. He's, okay. He's a songwriter, and he's played with uh, Jackson Brown and Melissa Etheridge. Somehow he said he was going to write the theme for your, your show. Oh, he might he might have been writing the theme for Willie's World. Okay, because he said, he goes, oh, I was going to write a theme for yeah. a talk show. And I went, oh, I didn't yeah. know. I mean, I have, an, uh, I have an idea now for another, like, thinly disguised talk show but we'll see what happens now when did you get into the idea of wanting to create i mean you've always created these characters but when you know it's uh it's really it really happened to to be honest it happened during sex in the city michael patrick king uh who was running the show and sarah jessica who i'm dear friends with they really taught me the lesson of how important it is to be a partner in what you're doing rather than just a hired gun um David Milch also taught me that. Uh, and I guess now I'm looking at the pattern of it. I, and I guess the Farrelly brothers too, because we're friends. So it's always been like, let's make this together. And a lot of actors uh, operate in their life is like, listen, I'm hired. I'm going to do the part. I hope they like it or they really liked me or they love me or whatever. And I'm like, my role is as important as your role as the creator. So we're creating this together. And so it's always been in the back of my mind. I just didn't know how to do it. So I'm now, I, I've now created a couple of reality things that we've sold, but no, nothing's gotten picked up. And then this year, after White Collar ended, I sold a pilot that I created um, that was the first scripted thing. And it was really, it was a, it was a wonderful experience. Uh, Fox ended up not going ahead with it. I, you know, it was my first time out and we got bought, you know, and we got bought in the room, which is very exciting. And it wasn't because I'm such a massive star. It was because I created something and I went in as a part. And uh, it, it really, it, it, was a, it was a great learning experience and a great experience at the end of the day. Now, you said you sold it and it didn't get picked up. But now after you sold the idea, did you actually work with the scripting or did you get writers? I or worked, you- well, my, my dear friends, again, I like to work with friends and uh, a dear dear friend from wesleyan actually and her husband are big writers and uh we all took a very personal story it was about i i took the i took the classic show courtship of eddie's father and i combined it with my life with my son i'm a single father of an adoptive son so we made it we took the title and the concept of courtship eddie's father and made it really our story, the story of me and Nathan. Um, and uh, so I worked with them. You know, it was all stories of our life. Uh, it was all story, and I was going to produce it with them and direct it. And I was going to play not the father because I'm too old. Bill Bixby was 35. Remember, everyone loved that song. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I had my dear friend uh, is a singer called Elvis Costello who was going to write, who was. He wasn't going to write it because we we had hours of discussion about uh, just to redo that amazing song, that great Nielsen song, because it's such a great song. And it tells the story of the show. And he was like, listen, if the show goes on the air to 95% of the people, this is a new song. <laughs> so, right, you're right. I mean, because a lot of people don't remember that yeah, show. Yeah, of it's course like, it's, not. I mean, it was 1968. And TV you know? Land's not playing it. No. It's not, you know, I mean, but- I watched it in repeats when I was probably 10 or something. 
I was born in 64, but the show was on in 68. I don't know where I watched it. I was born in 63, it. so yeah, I don't, yeah, I'm the same way. I remember seeing it on TV. But I but think I it was in repeats maybe. when we were 10 or 11, because that's when I watched it. You're right, yeah. Um, so it was a wonderful experience, and now I'm creating again. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen, but actually I'm writing a script that uh, Mr. Milch is actually helping me write. And then I'm going to go out with this script, which is another idea I had. TV or movie? TV. Okay. TV. I, I'm the rare actor who likes to be in movies, but loves being on television. Why is that? The speed. I get, I get bored uh, making, making a movie for a long, long time. And now, here's the thing. The new economy... Movies aren't shooting for 240 days anymore. Right. So movies are becoming oddly shot more like television now. So, you know, I can work in either. It doesn't matter to me, but I do like getting a new script every week. And I do like, I like the seven, eight, nine pages a day. I like it. Uh, It just, I feel like I'm working harder. I mean, I, I used to work with the, the, genius classic director mike nichols often and you know but mike the look is so important and the the paintings that he's making on screen you know you're talking about a quarter of a page a day that's for an actor who wants to get into some juicy work that's torture right it's torture like i don't mind i don't mind you know on on white collar we could get up to 11 12 pages i don't mind learning that the night before and going in and hitting it hard um and and it's a it's kind of a test to yourself like can i be can i be at the top of my game for all 12 pages the next day uh so you know it's it's a different thing they're, they're different things so I, I i'm a fan of television now white collar when you got that it just said it came from the bogota show yeah once again, that was a show that, you know, it was Matt, the lead, Matt, he, yep. he wasn't that known. No. And the other... No, I was, I, I was arguably the most famous person. Wait, so uh, now, the, did yeah. you think Tiffany would... Tiffany Thiessen was pretty well known. But she was a woman now, Tip, so the people right. who... Tim, ha- Tim worked a lot. Um, Rutgers guy. <clears throat> well, graduate school. Okay, because um, Ailes knows. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 he went to Mason Gross uh, for graduate school. Um and and I've known him for 25 years, so that was great to be with him. And I know Tiffany a long time. I didn't know Matt, um, but you know, arguably I was the most famous person there, which was not something that USA was concerned about. Uh, USA uh, almost didn't want that, and it took a it took an executive uh, at the time, Jeff Wachtel, who's now with uh, Universal. Um, cable productions heading that uh, to stand up in the room and said to them, you know, having Willie on this show is like a warm blanket. <laughs> now, I, I didn't know at the time if that was <laughs> if that was a compliment. Right. I mean, he, he, didn't say, he didn't say warm, wet blanket, so that's good, I guess. But, but uh, you know, that, he meant like it's comforting for the audience to see this face that they see 24 hours a day on their television. So... But now, did you? When I mean, you're opting for that part, okay? I just said there's. I mean, you probably had other, you probably gotten other leads and series. Yep. But what I mean, what made that special? Where you said because you said you're the most famous person on that show at the time. Well, it all comes. I mean, first of all, I fought for that show because they they you know they came to me after Bogota and said you'd be right for this, and then they make you fight for it. Okay. So they're trying to beat you at, at the t- at the whole time, like yeah yeah we have him, but who's better? And they kept happening. Jeff Jeff Easton, who created the show, created White Collar, he said someone walked into one of the auditions, either at network or at studio or something, and walked in and said, you know, I can play this part, but Willie Garson's sitting out in the lobby, and obviously he's going to get it. Okay. That's like his favorite story about the whole process. Um, but what what it all comes down to is always the writing. I mean, uh, I, I guess because I grew up in a very literate family, that's why I'm really attracted to television. Uh, it's, it's a writer's medium. 
it's it's all the writing it's all the writing all the writing there, there you could have the junkiest actors the junkiest sets whatever if the writing is amazing and you know we if anyone is a student of television they know uh playhouse 90 and all the shows in the 50s that did the live they were basically live one act plays the sets are terrible they look like they're made out of styrofoam the acting is often very stilted but these are classic writers writing classic scripts um you know rod serling and bradbury i mean these, these guys are writing real scripts that uh and that's that's what i'm attracted to and i've been i've been very fortunate you know with jeff easton uh, michael patrick king and the king of them all david milch i mean i you 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 get what you get when you right. go at an audition. You know, I, I always say, like, if if uh, NYPD Blue was going on at the same time as Gilligan's Island, I would have gone after them both with fervor. And you get the one you get. So, God bless it. I got, I've got i gotten some pretty decent ones. But it can go either way. Well, Blue Collar also, I mean, once again, did you think when you signed on for that 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 would last that long? Once again, it's on USA... I had no idea big. again uh and that's that's why I'm not a businessman at heart I'm an artist hopefully uh again I looked at USA and I was like I don't understand USA I know they have wrestling and they have Ronda Shear up all night <laughs> yeah I didn't really know I knew I knew they had wrestling right and I thought is this a good is this show a good lead in to wrestling well maybe they'll put us on another night <laughs> right <laughs> and it turns out they you know they've gotten fancier and fancier and fancier now they have this you know insanely elegant show on now called mr robot which is very elegant do you watch that i do okay i am okay i'm bear with me on this i have just the season finale to watch okay first three episodes i was down i knew what was going on and i i knew i knew the thing about christian slater i knew that from like episode two i knew that that was we're not going to say what it is yep but then the next three episodes i was like what what the hell's going on and now it brought me back, and I'm thinking, I haven't seen the finale, but I'm thinking, what's going to happen for next year? Because they already gave that one secret Well, this out. is, this is uh, you know, not to talk garbage about another show, but I mean, this is going to be the, the problem with that show, is to keep it, keep it going. Right. It's so much like a great independent movie. That's what I'm responding to. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's because it has that feel. But that might be the genius of these people, that they have another twist that will take it in a whole other direction. You know, listen, you... You could tell the story of, you know, my favorite show of all of last season, which was Bloodline on Netflix. Love it. Okay, so you could take that and say, okay, well, that kind of ended at the end. Okay, we, okay. Right. But I think that those people seem to be smart enough that they're going to have another way to take it now for the next season. You know, and it's also the way that television is going. In a very smart way, a, a genius uh, who's doing it is uh, Ryan Murphy with like American Horror Story is to do, it's a whole new show every year. Right. Um, Fargo is doing it. It's a whole new show, a whole new cast of characters. Um, because of the competition for audience is so fierce, everything has to be a special event. Everything. You couldn't put you. It'd be you'd be very hard pressed to put "Murder She Wrote" on today. It's like okay, another week, someone else dies. Right in the same town in Maine. Why anyone is in that town, right. God only knows. It's a death trap that town. So, but but the, to reinvent these shows from scratch every year is really the way to go. So, oh, did you see this season of True Detective? Well, no, I saw the first season. Okay, well, you can watch the second season. It's a totally different show. Right. So that's, I think that's where we're heading. Now, with you and White Collar, yeah. because of Netflix and all this stuff, has and even Sex and the City, has that increased? I mean, your viewer audience, because you think you know when Sex and the City was out, it was a certain audience, but now like eighteen-year-olds are finding it. And now, no, it's madness. It's madness now. And White Collar is uh, just the, getting binged right now. Okay. Like it just it just has reached critical mass. So I was just talking to Matt yesterday. It it's 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 actually insane at this point. Um, 
people are like, I can't, so everyone was talking about the show and I never watched it. So I sat there for three days and I watched 80, 81 episodes. Right. <laughs> it's like, really? In three days? Um, <laughs> you know, and I, I also have, I have these other fans because I, for some reason, and I don't watch it, but for some reason I have a lot of science fiction work and those fans are a whole nother rabid thing. You know, I'm the only person who did two quantum leaps. I'm the only person who did two X-Files. I did Star Trek. I did a bunch of Stargates. And these are not shows that I watch. But, but those but, fans are, are those rabid. Fans, and they're lifetime. That God bless them. They are lifetime fans forever and ever and ever. They're, I mean, there's nothing better when I'm in Vegas or something and someone says, you know, my wife, my wife is a huge uh, Sex and the City fan, as they all are. And then he'll go, he'll go but me, you know, I'm Stargate. <laughs> I I remember you from Stargate. That, that's that's very like. But that's cool. And then oh, and the funny thing is also this is how TV is because you've been you've had a lengthy successful career. Uh, my girlfriend who's a big fan of White Collar and we call her the lovely Joanne. I she says, oh, I was doing something on Saturday. And she goes, oh, mm. no. And she goes here. I taped an episode of Friends and you were on it. But <laughs> she was just she was watching because I looked at the DVR and I'm thinking, okay. I, I don't really watch Friends that much. I'll watch right. it occasionally. But I think it's Saturday. She'll she'll put it on, and you know she's doing work, or just whatever. Or and and I'm looking. I go. I'm looking, and I'm sitting here going, "Okay, I have three Mr. Robots. You know, she she records Big Brother. I have Fear of the Walking Dead. I have something, and I'm going. And we have Sharknado three, which we haven't watched. I haven't seen it yet. And, and, but I want to watch it. it. Yeah. And, and then I'm sitting. The there shark going, kills someone. Uh, okay, okay. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I'm sitting there going. Why is there sex? And not sex. Uh, uh, <laughs> and she goes, oh, and she goes, I thought you might want to see. I I recorded a friends because Willie's going to be on your show. That's right. But that's what's for you. You probably get fans from that too that sit there, and you're for one me. of those guys that they probably sit there like and they watch like an older show. Like there's probably someone watching a Mr. Belvedere right. who goes, hey, that's right. That's well, you ne- you never know, you know. And then I grew up with a guy in New Jersey, very successful uh, producer, writer, creator named Michael Jacobs who created a lot of kids' shows. And his big show was Boy Meets World. Uh, you know, when I was very young, he did Charles in Charge, but I wasn't even here yet. Um, my Two Dads, he did. And he did my first pilot, that one with Jason Bateman. And uh, so I was on, I just for fun, and as my pal, I was in Boy Meets World all the time. So there's kids who are now in their 20s and 30s who know me from that. And then, of course, when he started Girl Meets World, he brought me on that and asked me if I would come do that. So now there's little kids who know me from that. I love to do kids stuff if I can because, uh, A, it's fun and I love kids. But also, you you get them young, you know, you know, we were fans. You know, we're the same age. We were fans of Jack Albertson, Gene Wilder. Yeah. I mean, for their entire career, uh, Dick Van Dyke, he got you young. Dick Van Dyke yeah. got you when you were four years old, yeah, and, and you, you're a Dick Van Dyke fan for the rest of your life. Yeah, and, and it's like anything, like with our age, too. It's like I had Gregory Harrison on. The whole time yep. I'm sitting there going, oh, my God, it's Trapper John. Yeah. And I had Perry King on. I'm going, yep. Riptide. I mean, that, that's the thing. You're right. Once you start watching someone that's at a right. young age. And so I, lo- cool. I love kids stuff. I love it, and I, I just, kids are fun. And, you know, and so Michael just, uh, I had only directed, I'd only directed White Collar, so I'd only directed single camera film. And Michael let me direct a, uh, a Girl Meets World, which is a four-camera sitcom on a stage. And uh, it just aired this last week, and it was terrific. It came out great. Now, is that something that you worked into your contract for White Collar to get direct an episode? or um, It's something, you? no. They knew that I wanted to, and they knew that I was smart enough. And I asked for it, and they wouldn't put it in a contract. Um, Tim Decay had done it, and done a really good job. And... Uh, then they knew that I was going to do a good job. And it wasn't about, it wasn't about, I, I really cared for the show really deeply. And it wasn't about launching my glorious directing career. It was about, I was going to make a really great episode. And uh, I did, you know, because I cared. And I knew, I knew it better than anyone else. Uh, I mean, any of us in the cast could have done one and, and done a really good job. Uh Half hour, I had no idea. It's okay. a whole different animal. Now, is that in front of a live audience? Yeah. So that's... It's hard. I mean, on kids' shows, you actually pre-shoot a lot of it the day before because you're only allowed so many hours in the day. So you can't leave it all for the live audience because, God forbid, 
it gets rough and you're stuck, <laughs> um, you know, you, you, the kids can't work forever. So, so you do shoot, pre-shoot a lot, but it's hard, man. I mean, there's four cameras, four cameras at the same time. Right. That's, that's hard. I, I'm used to single camera. What do I want to shoot? You know, it's like, right. you've been, it's like you've been hit with a frying pan. I want to point the camera at that. <laughs> exactly. Okay. That's where we're going to put the camera. That's it. But four cameras rolling all the time and all the angles and all the people in the scenes, it's, it's a whole different thing. Is it something you want to do more of though, directing? Is it something that you want to pursue? I do. I do. When it comes up organically, I have, you know, I have a lot of care for the boy meets world, girl meets world family. So hopefully they'll, they'll let me do more. Uh, and if I get on another show that I care about enough, uh, it'll be, it'll be a thing that I'll fight for, you know? Cause I'll, I'll, I'll just, it's like, Oh, I really get this. This really speaks to me. I really want to make a great episode of this. We have a few minutes left. So I okay. want to ask you this. Um, sing it. Come though, coming after doing, you know, white collar and doing these shows that you're a regular on now, as you said, you, you get the guest spot. Yep. Now, what is that like? Because it's a different world. Cause you're, you're, you're the kid visiting. It's a new really school. fun. It's really fun because there's, you know, you're not, you're not carrying it on your back. Okay. <laughs> so the weight of the world is off you and it's fun. And the, the one I do the most now is I'm, I'm playing a character on Hawaii Five O, So it's terrific. It's a big cast. It's Hawaii. I know that's much great. They <laughs> you know, so it's like, it's, you know, uh, they give me some half decent stuff to do, which is great. Um, and, uh, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, you know, it's, it's the, the anxiety level is at zero. <laughs> and one other question I have to ask you. How do you know Elvis Costello? I, everyone loves, I love Elvis. How do you know Elvis Costello? Elvis Costello and I met at a concert at a U2 concert in the, in the VIP area. And I was scared to go up and talk to him. How long ago was it? 15, 20 okay. years ago. And uh, I was afraid, but I was doing a pilot called Spy Girl about a girl detective. And I'd been begging Warner Brothers to use watching the detectives as a theme song. You can put any song on the pilot until it's right. picked up. No one cares. And I saw him. And the girl I was with said, leave him alone. He's watching a concert. Like, finally, the show ends. And I, I can't take it anymore. I walk over and I go, excuse me, I'm sorry to bother you, but I've been trying to get my studio to use a song of yours in a television project I've been working on for three weeks. I've been begging them. And he turns around and he goes, oh, my God, it's you. And I said, ha ha, that's very, very funny. You're hilarious. He goes, no, you don't understand. My wife and I, his wife at the time, picked you out 10 years ago. We know everything you've ever done. You're our favorite actor. He named things that I didn't even remember doing. Wow. And I said, okay, this is ridiculous. <laughs> like, and uh, so anyway, we talked for three hours, I think that night. Now, are you a big fan? I had been, oh my God. Okay. I mean, it was like meeting the Pope for That's me. Amazing. You know, I'm a nerd from the East Coast from a liberal arts college. Right. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, he's literally the soundtrack of my life. So we talked and then the next day we talked all day. It was like we were born together. He called up Warner Brothers, gave them Watching the Detectives. They changed the name of the pilot to Watching the Detectives. And Peter Roth, I still, every time I see him, the head of Warner Brothers, every time I see him, I'm like, and you still couldn't get it picked up? Well, like, what else do you want me to do for you? Now, that's a story. We got to wrap up. Yep, now, right. that, no, see, that's a story to end with. That's so cool. I love Elvis <laughs> Costello. And, uh, and, okay, now, now, are you, you tweet a lot, right? I do. Okay, and you're at Willie Garth? I am at creatively named at Willie Garson, except my Instagram because someone has at Willie Garson. My Instagram is Willie.Garson, but my Twitter is at Willie Garson. I'm glad you got that. <laughs> and now you tweet a lot. I do. Okay. Well, then people follow him on Twitter. Go I love it. At Willie Garson. Now, do you Instagram a lot? I go on Instagram a lot, but I don't, I just joined, so I don't okay, have I'm, a lot I'm of people. I, I find Twitter to be more user-friendly. It is. Instagram, yeah. you got a picture. So follow him at Willie Garson. Also, people... Follow me at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. Or go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have, oh, God, like 418 episodes up. And uh, you can send me an email, cooper at coopertalk.net. Tell me who you want as a guest. I try to get guests. I got lucky with Willie Garson because he knows John Ailes, who was on it. And That's John right. Ailes, if you're not watching Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll, He's you're an terrific. idiot. It's one of the best shows. Dennis Leary is awesome. 
past guest Elaine Hendricks is on it. John's great as the guy, guy rehab. John so, Corbett. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, so watch that, people. And also, go to my other website, StopTheSalt.com. Buy my cookbook. It's a low-sodium cookbook. $10 with shipping. Buy it from me. I make more money if you buy it from me and not Amazon. <laughs> and I will autograph it for you. Even though, if you don't want my autograph, just say, don't autograph it. So buy that. Follow at Willie Garson, Willie.Garson on Instagram. I'm Cooper Talk One at Instagram. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. I'll talk to you guys next week.